This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I am joined once again with Jim Sebastio. Hi, Jim. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining me again. Sure. We're going to get to the topic in just a moment, but uh, we want to ask you if you haven't yet to go to iTunes and write a review for us. Helps spread the word of the podcast. It helps us get feedback. So we'd appreciate you doing that. Also, if you would go to practicalshepherding.com, there's tons of resources available for you that are free uh, to be helpful, helpful to you in any way. Uh, also, if you've been helped by this podcast or our ministry, you can go to the donate page and leave a donation to help financially support us. That would be a big help, especially during this these challenging times if you're able to do that. Uh, Jim, we want to get right to the topic, and it is a question that someone sent in to us that we know not just this individual, but a lot of people are trying to wrestle through in their local churches, and that is, how does uh, a church, in a sense, prepare to have a plurality of pastors, elders, and how does how do those men who serve as pastors, elders, uh, how are they prepared to even serve the congregation in a sense? Uh, before I send it over to you to think biblically through this, I want to acknowledge in this conversation, depending on your background, that we consider pastor, elder as the same office of the New Testament. So there's two offices of pastor and deacon, but those terms of pastor, elder, overseer even, are interchangeably used to talk about that office of of the pastor that's mentioned in 1 Timothy 3 and other places. So just want to give you that presupposition that that is what we're referring to. Elder pastor is the same biblical office. Some are paid, some are not paid. Consider lay pastors or lay elders. But that's the terminology we want to use just so there's no confusion. So Jim, from a biblical standpoint, how do we think through this? Some years ago, Brian, uh, pastors in Baptist churches began to look at this question in a way they had not, at least for a long time, and, and especially, I think, among Southern Baptist churches and, and, and other Baptist churches, the question of eldership seemed to be more of a Presbyterian thing. But some years ago, because of some good teaching, uh, people began to, to look at their Bible with some fresh eyes and to look at passages they maybe just kind of glossed over or, or didn't understand or didn't do before. And so you find in the Scriptures uh, passages like in Acts chapter 14, when Paul and Barnabas are going back among the churches that they had established and they're strengthening them and encourage them. We read in Acts 14 that they set up elders, plural, in every place. And then you come to a passage like Acts chapter 20, where, where the, Paul calls for the elders, plural, of the church. Uh, in, in Ephesus, you find uh, other references, the elders that are among you, I exhort, First Peter chapter 5. Mm. Uh, you find uh, Paul saying to Titus in Titus chapter 1, I left you in Crete that you may set in order the things that remain and appoint elders, elders. in every yep. place. Yep. Not just a pastor, not just, not just an elder, not, and not just a pastor, but elders, a plurality. Right. And we could get into why that's important and, and why we think that that's uh, a good idea, but I think what we can establish from the scriptures, a survey of the biblical data in the book of Acts and then on into the epistles demonstrates that it is, it was the order of things in the apostolic church that these churches be led by uh, overseers, another term that's used, overseers, pastors, bishops, Elders, all interchangeable all terms interchangeable, right. uh, in the scriptures. Uh, so uh, I think that's where you would start with that, Brian, is that, that you want to be able to see this with your own eyes and have your congregation see this with their own eyes, 
that this is what we talk about. We want to be a biblical church. We want to be what the Bible tells us to be. Well, here you have both by, ter- by, by means of precedent in the apostolic church in the book of Acts, but then also by clear teaching, doctrinal teaching uh, in the epistles to demonstrate that this is what a biblical church looks like. Yeah, and I want to take a moment and add something that you had said. You just laid out a clear biblical design for this. But before we get into the topic we're going to talk about today, we also want to give acknowledge the the wisdom and the practicality of a plurality of pastors elder, pastor elders that you, you quickly referenced. But I just want to acknowledge it because we're not going to spend time talking about it in in detail. But if you know, as somebody who t- went to a church that did not have plurality of, of elders, and I moved us there, that I was driven by the biblical evidence of it. But I also came to learn that from a practical standpoint, that it is the wisest way, I think, to for us to even function as a church, to have more shepherds that, than just more than one shepherd to shepherd the flock. Uh, is is just practically wise with all the needs of the church and and to care. So there's there's biblical evidence, but also strong practical argument for why to have this. Yeah, as well. it's it's reinforced in life, and and I think Brian, the the two major reasons you want to give for that is that it is good for the shepherd to have other shepherds, and it's good for the sheep. That's right. It, it prevents uh, a man from having a, a place of of prominence and power that he ought not to have. It also allows him to have shepherds for his own soul, because right. one of the things I think we see in the Word of God is that shepherds need sheep, or sheep need shepherds. Mm-hmm. And if you are a shepherd, you are also a sheep, and you need you need shepherds mm-hmm. yourself. You need someone to take care of your own to your yep. soul, and someone to hold you to account. Uh, and it is good for the flock because there's going to be a far less chance of of sheep. Uh, falling into the cracks of not being cared for where there are a group of men than one man being stretched thin and trying to take care of a lot of different people. Yeah, and I often say when I look at Hebrews thirteen seventeen that we'll give account of souls that the burden to give an account for souls and to care for souls is actually too great for one man to carry alone. Right. And so tons of implications around that. But the topic we want to focus on, we want to give that context because it will help our conversation. The question we got through Twitter is a pastor who's trying to think through raising up other pastor elders in their church while trying to transition a church to have a plurality of elders. Right. So similar to what I walked into, I walked, you planted your church and obviously were able to set that up how you, you felt you, you should from a biblical standpoint. I mean, I took a 70-year-old church that had never had this before, and this is a similar situation. A lot of... A lot of pastors go into, and they they agree with us in the sense that this is a biblical, clear biblical right. principle, and it's practically wise to have it for our own souls and for the souls of the sheep. So uh, the question is being asked: What do you do first? Really, do you help a church understand that this is something we as a church need to pursue, or do you start raising up men uh, among you? What do you do first? How does it mix together? What kind of counsel would you give around that? Brian, if I had to give it uh, a chicken, then the egg, uh, I would put it this way. Because I'm going to argue that the chicken came first. Do you think so? I do, because of creation, right? So it's a a (laughs) biblicist. Of course, the chicken came first. 
Um, so, but I, I think if you if you agree with that, so all right, which we're solving first? all kinds of problems. Right, there on you here, go. Right? I just, this is amazing. Uh, people are so helped by this podcast. <laughs> I, I think what you you start with is uh, if you had to start with one first is you need to prepare the flock because you need to have the consciences of the Lord's people. You know, we are not to lord it over the flock. I mean, that's one of the – so you can't just come in yeah. and, and say uh, – sometimes if a man came in with that kind of an agenda, they might be the, – the, the sheep may be skittish and fearful of, well, what's this guy doing? He's, he's changing everything, you know. So the, we've talked about some of this in the past. How do you bring about reformation? How do you how do you pick your fights? What, what do you focus on? I think this is one of the things you want to begin to do fairly early because for your own sake and for the sake of the flock is to say, listen, I, I think it's a, we're, we are in, uh, however traditional it is, that it, it's, it's not Christ's best for any congregation to have just one pastor and function that way. Uh, and, and so we want to consider, let's look together at what the Bible says about church leadership. And it uses this word, elders. If you feel better if we call them pastors, we'll just call them pastors. That's what I do, primarily. And, yeah, right. And, yeah. and so we do that too. I mean, we so we you know it, it helps some people because like, well, elders. What are elders? I've never heard. You know, we don't. That sounds weird, or it sounds cultic. You know, the or elders, pres- Presbyterian, or by Presbyterian the way. for Southern Baptists, it sounds Presbyterian. Yeah, yeah, if they if they're aware of it, yeah, it doesn't sound like something. It's not what we do. It's not according to That's our right. traditions. Okay, well, we have pastor, and sometimes you say pastor, assistant pastor, associate pastor, and there's all these different pastoral offices that Baptists, you know, tend to have, pastor of assimilation, part pastor of arts and recreation, youth pastor, you know, all these different kinds of things. And and, uh, what you're really trying to say is, listen, no, that there is in the Bible a doctrine of what we call a plurality of elders, and and then begin to look at, well, what do elders do? And you can begin to look at that uh, in terms of shepherding, teaching, preaching, counseling, helping to lead the congregation, and that when Brother Jones, who's not a full-time pastor, uh, that he's going to come and do a a pastoral visit with you, it it ought not to matter that it's not the quote-unquote the, you know, like the capital T, capital P pastor in Mm. people's minds to say, he's your pastor just as much as I am. I'm, I'm your pastor like he is. And try to help God's people to understand that and yeah. really to promote. First of all, we need to see it for ourselves in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then the question is going to come, well, where are these men going to come from? Well, hopefully they're going to come from, at least by and large, from your own midst. And I think a man can come in. I think any man coming into a congregation that doesn't have elders is going to look out and he's going to see that there are certain men that are already in certain ways acting or functioning as shepherds. That is, they're very sensitive to the bleating of the sheep. Uh, they're they're very caring. They're involved in people's lives. They're the kind of person that would say, hey, pastor, you know, I've been meeting with so-and-so, and, you know, I've been helping with this. I want to let you know as you're new here. And, and by the way, you know, I've been, you know, these people have been coming to me for help. You know, that that you just, whether he says that explicitly or you find out of the sheep say, well, we've been going to Brother Bernie about these kinds of things. You know, you realize, oh, th- this may well be somebody in the congregation. And then you begin to evaluate them according to the very clear qualifications that are laid out in First Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. And, and, and your people, your your church ought to be schooled enough in the Word that those chapters are not unknown to them or strange to them, so that after a period of time, you could say in a class or 
in the middle of a sermon, uh, brethren, where, where do you find the qualifications for pastors? They'd say 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. Well, I, think that, I think they ought to be familiar with those things and then begin to look at the men in the church and to say, do you see men like this, men that have these proven qualifications and that you you have confidence in your heart trust? Well, you, I agree with everything you said, but I think you you given you're given too much credit to most churches, just unless um, most churches don't know First Timothy three well. No, what I'm saying is you're going to teach it to them. Okay. I'm going to say that you should teach it to so them. You're saying so that's well. got to happen first. That's got to happen, right? Yep. Because they're going to participate in this. I mean, they're going to participate right. in this. This isn't a popularity contest. This isn't a power grab. This is us trying to. Uh, be be a people of the book. So Baptists like to say we're people of the book. So it's part about being a people of the book. And that is saying that the this book, the Bible, demonstrates this and not only tells us we should have men like this, it tells us what they look like. Yeah. And so let's then begin to, to go through the process of discerning, are there men like this in our midst? And if not, what needs to happen to build up men like this? Yeah. Because with one with one, with the exception of one qualification, everything said about pastors is said somewhere or other about godly men. Yeah. And so our ministries ought to build godly men uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that they're all going to be pastors because not all of them are going to have those desires and not all of them are going to have some gifting in teaching. But we ought not to have a congregation where you look at it and say, I, I don't have anybody in the church who's not who's... It says, let him not be an angry man. Well, everybody's an angry man, or everybody's lustful, or everybody's drunk, or everybody's a brawler, and, and say, or there's nobody who's a husband of one wife, nobody raising their children with dignity. That ought to be part of the kinds of lives that are built up through sound doctrine. So m- the best advice I think I ever got on trying to find elders in your congregation is look for the men who are who act like elders, who talk like elders, who serve like elders without the title, without the recognition or any mm-hmm. pay. And that that has proven to be very helpful when because I get that question a lot from pastors all the time. What how do I look for these men? And to your point, hopefully if you're doing faithful gospel ministry, that God is raising these men up over time or developing them. We still have to look to be able to invest in them. But that's so the say first that thing again, Brian. Say it slowly there, because I think that you make an important point. Because part of what I was trying to say here a minute ago was that you ought to be able to look at it, hopefully in a congregation. There are a lot of godly men. It doesn't mean every one of them is called by Christ or desires to be a pastor. But you said they they look like, talk like, and act like shepherds. Yep. They all act like, talk like, and and serve like el- serve elders like. without the title recognition or pay. And so what is that so practically what does that look like what do you, what, do you, what do you see in a guy that you say okay that's they're sounding like acting like serving like well we have qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 that tell us about the character should look like we have 1 Peter 5 and Hebrews 13:17 that tell us that the call of a pastor other than being able to be able to teach to be able to, man- to, be able to minister the word but look for the men who minister the word in your church but also look for the ones who look like who are shepherding people's souls. Right. That's right. Just because so right. so yeah, just look for the the work of a pastor. And I think pastors also have to this is part of the gifting of a pastor, I think. We have to have wisdom and the discernment that comes from God as a gift to be able to look at this to be able to look at this guy that nobody can see them yet as a as a future elder. 
because they're really rough around the edges in a lot of ways. And people would be like, there's no way that that person is. But, but you're able to look and see possible giftings that God, that God is as doing in that man. But we as pastors have to, it's part of the discipleship of that person to see them uh, develop along uh, those lines and see those gifts come out of them. So I, it's not just we, that they're wait. These guys are developed and ready to be elders in their right, in the churches. Right. We, pastors have to look and see ways to disciple certain men along those lines. How do you then come alongside? So let's say let's say you have uh, uh, there's a 50 men in the church and you have like a men's Saturday men's theology group or something like that. And among that group, you think, so 10 guys come to that, and you think maybe three of these guys are future elders. Maybe all 10 of them want to be, but three of them are men that you think you, you, you have some sense of. Do you then say to those guys, let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Have you ever, you ever thought about, have you, what are your desires? I, I see you interacting. I see you discipling new believers. I see you putting good books in people's hands. I've listened to you teach and preach. Or teach, you know, I went to your Sunday school class. I was really impressed with your gifts. Or I, I heard you preached at the nursing home, and it was excellent. I wouldn't do any of that until if I identified somebody as a possible elder down the road. I would, I would start meeting one on one with that person, okay. and through a, a one on one discipleship relationship. If I saw them continue to develop, then I would have that conversation with them okay. at some point. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do it. Okay. I would and not would you, do it because I wouldn't want to preempt uh, them like that. Okay. And then, and, and then they showed actually not be gifted to play that kind of role. So I want to see clear evidence just in my interactions with them. I mean, and again, if we're being faithful pastors, hopefully we're spending time with our right. flock. And I, historically, these guys in particular in our church, I always made time for and spent more time with guys who are future, not just elders, but future deacons, like future leaders in our church, I always took the responsibility to make sure I, I poured into them. And how long a process, Brian, would you see that being? Uh, obviously, in the in the, in the the church you've had there in the Book of Acts, I don't know how long the time passed exactly between when these churches were established and when uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, in those churches set aside certain men for the— well, Office of, of 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 elder, do you do you have a certain set time, or do you make that a case by case situation with a a man's maturity and knowledge and action, or do you have a time you say that's too short, two months is too short, two years maybe outer? Do you have any time in between? You would say to a guy, no, I'm nervous to put a time limit on this okay. because I think that. It, it the moment everybody's going to be different. Everybody's got different levels of development, maturity, and I just don't want to put a time limit on it. But I do think that there is no- a warning in Scripture about being hasty, right? And and I think when you talk about the Antioch Church, you're talking about Acts, you know, thirteen, where Paul and Barnabas are sent. Saul and Barnabas are sent. Um, that you go back to Acts eleven, it shows that 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 Saul and Barnabas spent two and a half years with the Antioch Church with them in fellowship, doing ministry there. So even there's evidence that not months, but years went by mm-hmm. before they actually sent them in Acts 13 on the, right. on the missionary journey. So yeah, First Timothy talks about not laying hands on uh, on someone too hastily, or I think it's 2 Timothy. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, there's warnings to do that. You don't want a new convert as part of the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. Yeah. So I think we have to be careful with, with the timepiece I have found it's always better to be more patient than to rush this. Uh, I 
to lay hands on someone too quickly can be disastrous. But I have found less casualties to come from giving a little more time. So I would just err on the side of patience as you're doing this. Yeah, and we're told uh, 2 Timothy 2, you know, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, again, to, to some degree, that acknowledgement of, of that uh, how do you f- how do you find that man that he's faithful? Yeah, I, I want to. I would say one other thing too in regard to. Uh, I want to say how not to do answer this question when he says, "Which is it first? Is it do you train the church? Do you find men? Like which is it?" And I want to I want to say how not to do this okay. to make the point on how to do this. <laughs> do not be a new pastor to come in. And I've seen this too many times, and and how it just blows up in their face. New pastor goes in. You know, they've read a nine marks book or whatever, which we love, but you know, they read a book on plurality of elders. I'm in, okay, this this is biblical, this is practically right. They go in and with the first thing they do is they they open up the bylaws in the constitution and they push for the constitution and bylaws to be changed mm-hmm. so that it reflects plurality of elders. And so they the the fight the battles they fight in those early years is actually trying to help the church see, well, we need to change the bylaws into this model. They haven't taught from the Word adequately. They do this without teaching from the Word. They do this without actually having qualified men to step up. One of the worst things you can do, get a church to sign off on a plurality of elders and have no elders to be step up. Or have bad elders. Or or bad elders. Right. So I just so I want to make that point right. is that because I see a lot of guys do that and it's disastrous. It's the backwards way to do this. The bylaw change, in my opinion, in the polity of the church should be one of the last things that happens, not one of the first things. You and, need to have qualified men and the church needs to biblically, to your point earlier, the church needs to clearly understand well what what the passages around this mean. Right, and then hopefully if a, a congregation, a hungry congregation is trained in the Word of God, they're going to come up and say, hey, you know, we we – we need to. They, you know, maybe they'll even come. Some of them will begin to come and say, "We need to change our, our bylaws to match what the Scripture says." That's exactly uh, right, and I think that, God, that's that's your goal and desire. I think God does that. In fact, in our church, I spent years three and four. I spent eighteen months on Wednesday night teaching through First Timothy. Eighteen months, just going through the text. Not once did I ever say, "So see, we should do this." I just literally taught the word. Praying and yeah. asking God that the seeds that would be sown right. in a would, New Testament church would find this is would what find happened, soil. Right. And by the way, people made those connections. Of course, when things blew up is when they started to realize what this actually might mean. Right. About okay, now the role of deacons changes the way we mm. know it, and these committees change. And so, yeah, you have to prepare for that. But to answer the question that this brother wrote us and asked, which is it? Do I train the church? Do I find them in? You do both at the same time. And I would say you do it kind of stealthy in the early years of doing this. You teach the Bible. You just teach the Bible. You don't do it like you have an agenda. And from day one of becoming a pastor of a new church, you should be praying and looking for to raise up men and women as leaders in your church, but men in particular yeah. to be elders. Right, and right. that starts from day one. But Luther said, I did nothing, the Word did it all. And that's yeah. really what you're hopeful for. You have to just trust that God's going to work through that. So let's let's take a, 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 another, let's take a little bit of a right angle, left angle turn here, whatever. Uh, uh, in regard to, now say now you're, you're teaching this, you're preaching this, and you've got you're getting this view of what a pastor is and a pastor does, and somebody comes up and says, 
I have this desire, or I believe, or God has called me to this. This is very odd. God's called me to ministry. I have, I have surrendered to ministry. You know, I, I, I don't want to get into all that. I used to hear those stories all the time. Everybody sounded like they, they're Jonah, you know, and, and God hey. is finally wrestles them. I remember the first time I heard a guy, he told this great story before he preached about this titanic struggle of God trying to get him into ministry, and he ran away from it, and finally there was this powerful emotional surrender, and I thought, this preaching is good. I mean, if God wanted this guy in the office this badly, this is going to be awesome. And it was terrible. Well, listen. And I thought, maybe God wasn't really chasing hey, you. Hey, I'm it? in Southern Baptist circles, okay? I mean, the cliche is the 18-year-old who stands up and preaches his first sermon, and and Aunt Millie, who's 85 years old, walks up to him afterwards and tells him that, you know, I mean, the Lord just has called him. He the needs Lord to go to seminary today. To right. So, like, that, yeah, that, that subjective... Um, I think you use the word subjective and sacred, that nobody can yeah, touch the right, call right. that I have on, from God. Right. So that's how some people will present their call. It is subjective. God called me. It's sacred. It's beyond question. So don't touch it. Yeah. God called me. God called me to this. Who are and, you and, to say? And, and yeah. we want to say, well, listen, the God who calls men to ministry has also given to us a means to recognize those that he's called. And so I think, again, what we need to help a guy like that, so let's say we got a young man or an older man in the congregation, is to say to them, well, listen, here are, here are several things. So gifting is one of them. Do you have a gift? Do you have and do I see in you a strong desire not to lord it over the flock, not to be preeminent, not to be the guy calling the shots, but does this person show a, a humble desire to serve? And I look at seminary guys, seminary guys that come to our church, I watch them. I watch them, how they interact with others, how they interact with older people in the church. Or, In fact, the reality is very often they don't. They, they huddle together, they talk theology, they find their fellow theologues, and they wag their tongues while the blind in the church, we have some blind people, are being led out by others. And they never see it. They never offer an arm. They never go over. They see somebody broken, somebody weeping. They're not, they're not checking on them. They're figuring out how many angels dance on the head of a pen. And you say to somebody like that, I'm not, I'm not confident God is calling you. But I, yeah, I know. I know you had a dream or you had this or that. Or I've done well in seminary. Yeah, I've done well in seminary. Uh, right. I have a, a seminary degree. I have I'm a seminary s- degree. How am I not called to ministry? Yeah. Uh, I got the Preacher Boy Award. How am I not called to you know ministry? Yeah. And so there is a quality of life. If you're married, quality of marriage. If you're a father, quality of fathering. It comes in. There's a life uh, in the in the midst of the church. A willingness to listen. A willingness to learn. If somebody bucks you every time you challenge them, confront them to any degree, give an exhortation, they're not willing to hear. You know, that'll have all kinds of red flags. It doesn't mean they can't grow. It doesn't mean they won't change, but that means right now. So I think what we need to do, Brian, is to challenge somebody who holds to the subjective and sacred calling to say that there is an objective external, and the church is going to play a role in that, and your elders are going to play a role in that, uh, that we're going to examine you, and the church is going to examine you. We're not going to lay hands on you right away simply because you believe you you have a, a calling. Yeah. Uh, that may not be the case. Brian, I told you the story of a man who 
years ago, uh, he told me he was not in ministry, hadn't been in ministry for a while. And he said, I know, I know, I know God's called me to ministry. And whatever reason, I asked him a question. I said, do you ever, I said, do you ever doubt that call? No. He says, I never doubt that call. And I asked him later, I said, do you ever doubt that God exists? He goes, oh, I doubt that all the time. And I realized this man was more certain that God had called him to ministry than there that was a God. Mm. And I, that's a problem. Yeah. And, and when you get that in your head or when the guy's wife gets that in her head, there can be real trouble with that if you're not willing to submit yourself to the process that God has laid out in his word that involves the church looking at a man's life and evaluating his calling in light of that And by truth. the way, those who want to kind of a resource to read more on what we're talking about, Charles Bridges in the Christian ministry talks about the internal and the external call. Mm -hmm. The internal is that desire, that inner desire that does matter. That's it the, does matter. That's the, strong, that's the right? subjective part that everybody puts all their stock in. But it right. still matters. It's not the only thing. But 1 Timothy 3, Paul says, if you desire this work, it's a good work to right. do. So there's an internal call. The external is what you're talking about, that congregations, that people outside of you can affirm we see gifts in you we see your qual the character you have and we can affirm and, that and Brian real quickly though that that ex that internal call that good thing you desire is not to preach is to shepherd the flock uh it's it's, it's does any man desires the work of of oversight yeah. overseership and that is that he that it, it's it's I, what I hear about men I'm, I'm called to preach I'm called to preach I'm called to preach right if you're a pastor you're called to shepherd Preaching is a part of that Preaching shepherding. Preaching is a part of it, right. But it's not the whole of shepherding. And, and if you have a, simply a desire to preach and a desire to teach but don't have love for the flock, you're going to be a noisy gong, and, and ultimately you're not – I don't believe you're ultimately called. So my final word on this, outside of the real clear distinctions of how to identify a pastor elder in Scripture in the New Testament, there are three things that I look for in every pastor elder – to serve with or to raise up and send out to be a pastor. And if they don't have it, I will not affirm them. Humility, number one. Mm -hmm. Teachability, mm -hmm. number two. And number three is a love for people. Yep. I really don't care how great you can preach. Yep. But if you don't love people and show that you love them and that you have compassion for hurting people, because you're not going to be a good shepherd other than that. Right. Because sheep are going to bite at times. Like we have to we have to be ready uh, for this to not go well and love and compassion for people and our sheep in particular have to win us over win the day if we're going to be shepherds. So teachability, humility and a love for people I look for in every pastor. If you're asking the question, how do I identify people in my congregation to to serve this role? Look for people who meet those. They could be the roughest person you've ever seen. I'm telling you, if I see humility, teachability, and love for people, I will I will pour into them to see if the Lord is raising them up. Any final word, Jim, for you on this? I'll just amen that, Brian. Okay. That's good. All right. Thank you. So let me pray for uh, both churches and pastors who are trying to wrestle through this situation. Lord, we're grateful for you uh, designing your church the way you have. We know that elders, pastors are a gift to the church. So Lord, we pray that pastors who are wrestling with how to raise these men up, that you would give them some clarity even from this conversation. We pray, Lord, that you would raise up men in their congregation. Show them even people who he would they would not normally identify, but even something from our conversation would make them consider someone else and that you would raise them up. Lord, prepare congregations for this 
to, to be embraced this biblical model if there's a pastor who's a new pastor at a congregation trying to think through this. Lord, we ask that you would prepare that congregation to receive the the seed of the word and that it would find good soil and bear fruit and that pastor would be patient in his teaching of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.